We are in the middle of this series, our Christmas series, called Absolute Hope for the Holidays. And probably, you've already guessed it by now, you've come in, you've hopefully seen the Advent wreath, and you know, this is for us just kind of our time to think about, celebrate, and talk about what the Advent is, this season in terms of Christ followers, what Advent means. Now, you're not going to find this word in your Bible anywhere, okay? So Advent, you're not going to find that word in Scripture. It's just, it's a liturgical uh, phrase and celebration that means uh, the coming or anticipation, if you will, the coming anticipation of Christ. And so that's what the Advent is. And so there's a, there's really cool, there's an Advent season uh, that, that we celebrate, but there's also an Advent season that we're currently in. This is considered the second Advent, waiting on the coming of Christ again. So there's some really cool parts when you start to study the Advent. Uh, but, you know, depending on how you and your family do it, maybe you do a wreath, maybe there's, um, you know, little calendars and a little house at home with windows. And how I many remember those Advent, you know, calendars when you were a kid? You're like, you know, I, however you do it, and the, that, it's all about the anticipation. It's all about the countdown. And for us, as we talked about that, that picture of anticipation, uh, we just talked about hope. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to take a whole series to talk about the thing that drives us as a church, which is the absolute hope of Jesus Christ. And so last week we kicked off with this idea that there was this hope promised to us and to God's people. From Genesis 3 uh, to today, we live in this constant state of hope promises, which unites uh, all the, all the, the, the people that, that call upon Jesus' name, all the followers of Christ, from, from no, no matter the race, no matter the country, no matter the time period in which they were born, we all experience this hope that was promised from God in one way or another. And last week, we read several of the prophetic passages about the hope promised to us. Again, because of the Advent, some of these scriptures were part of the reading of the, the week of hope and the week of love, and the, this is kicking off the week of joy that we, uh, we, we read earlier for the call to worship. Um, but this is one of the ones we read last week that talks about the hope promised to us. For a child is now born to us, a son is given to us, this is from Isaiah, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And it says that his government and its peace will never end. This is the hope that was promised to God's people. But then as we talked about, again, last week, you'll have to go back and listen to the whole thing, but there was this period of time, in our Bibles, it just goes like one page to another, but there was a period of time, uh, about 400 years, from the last kind of minor prophet, not minor in terms of importance, but in terms of the length of what he wrote um, and, and lived, Malachi, the last of the minor prophets, but all the way until we get the Gospel of Matthew, until we understand uh, the life of Jesus when he was born. And so for us, last week, we primarily looked at this hope promised life is all about um, hope promises. God's word is at work in the waiting. That all, of, all they had was the law and the prophets to kind of hold on their hope to and to hold their hope from, getting hope from the, the passage of the scrolls, that hope was coming. And so last week, we talked a lot about the importance for our lives how to understand that we need to lean into God's word when we're in a waiting season, when we're in a, a season where we're waiting for, that prom, for promises to be uh, fulfilled. And so it's very important to have that uh, in, kind of in our wheelhouse. Now, 
Last week I ended with the, with the uh, verse I wanted to start this week with, which is uh, the, the fact that, that, yes, you know, there was a plan that God had. There were 400 years of silence. But God had a plan in place and had a time in mind in which all of these things were going to happen. Now, we have an eternal God, so time is no big deal to Him. Time is a huge deal for us. Nod your head if you're with me. Yes. We're the finite creatures. Time is a problem uh, for us, but not to Him. And so I love the way Paul says this as he kind of gives this summary statement that when the set time had fully come, meaning that when things were where God wanted them to be, where things were aligned, God sent His Son. That it didn't happen until God was ready for it to happen, and it was exactly when He wanted it to happen. So we're going to read a couple of the accounts of Jesus' birth, um, especially from the standpoint of of uh, Joseph in terms of Mary's husband. This is how Matthew describes the scenario. Now, Luke tells us a lot of the actual of Mary's story, but Matthew talks a little bit more about Joseph's perspective. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. This was a huge deal. Obviously, this, was a, this would have been a scandal. This would have been something that, by the law, he could have, had, uh, you know, could have stoned her, could have had her brought up on charges because she, you know, she got pregnant outside of their engagement. I mean, this was a big problem, right? And so, but Joseph, being this honorable and righteous man, he he was weighing all of this and considering it. He decided he was just going to do it quietly and just kind of quietly put her aside. But then as he was considering this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, because he's in the line of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. How cool is that for an angel to show up and confirm everything you've said. I've had many an arguments with my wife and just would have loved for an angel to show up in her dream and been like, you know, he's right. You know, I mean, like that would have been amazing. It never happens, but it would have been amazing, right? How great was this for an angel to show up and confirm what, what Mary said was true? And then he goes on to say, as she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus, for he's going to save his people from their sins. Now, this is a huge deal because it not only gives him, he not only confirms with him the name of God's Son, this promised hope that, was, that they've been waiting on for so long, but the purpose of why this hope was coming. And it says that all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Again, Matthew writes uh, in Hebrew to the Jewish people, and he writes, and he oftentimes brings in the, 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 the Old Testament and prophecy to help connect the dots for the Jewish people. That's, if you read Matthew, that's how you need to read it and understand. He's connecting the dots for them to understand. And, and he goes back to say the same verse we read last week, right? Again, the, 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 he's repeating Isaiah, look, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now we'll skip over to Luke for the actual time in which they do travel. Joseph was a descendant of King David, and he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea 
David's ancient home. So he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, where Mary and he were from. But he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth. She delivered her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Now we'll read more of the account over the next couple of weeks to Christmas Eve, but I wanted to just kind of talk about this idea that that Mary and Joseph are there and they've delivered their baby boy there in the manger, right? Everybody can get the Christmas scene in your head. And I love that word, delivered, right? I love the, I love the fact that, I mean, it's not just a word we use to talk about you know, babies being born, right? Like, a, like the, we used to call them the delivery room, right? That's in the hospital. It was the delivery room. And most people don't usually use that term in terms of delivery and things because they don't even have a delivery anymore. Those rooms are the same rooms as always. You know, it's, it's, it's just a phrase we use. Most of us use the term delivery with our favorite, favorite company in the world, Amazon, right? And all you guys are just like me. A delivery for us is that, that we've, we've ordered something and we have an anticipation, right, that it's on the way, right? And when we finally receive it, when we finally have it, what, delivered, right, to us, it's the fulfillment of that order. It's the fulfillment of that promise. And, you know, you could pull your phone out now and, you know, Amazon will tell you, you know, you're eight stops away and they're liars. I can tell you that right now. They are, they are liars. So, or maybe my phone is. Anyway, they, they hit their eight stops away. As a matter of fact, this week I told Chin, I looked on it and it was like they, they even turned the truck into a sleigh. So now if you look at Amazon, that's like a little sleigh delivering my little thing over here. Sometimes I just get a notification that says your package was delivered, right? It was delivered, which for me, you know, then you go, then you rush with excitement to go get the package. And if you're anything like me, it's usually wrong. And it's not the thing I ordered and I have to deal with Amazon again. So needless to say, that does happen. But that's kind of how we use that word a little bit more. But it's still, it's still the same thing. It's the idea that what, what you've been waiting for, what's been anticipated, comes through. Like it finally happens. It comes to fulfillment. And I began to think, just think through, and I looked even through my notes. This is just one of those things that I, when I talk about absolute hope with people, because trust me, we've been using this phrase for a long time as a church, you know, almost eight, nine years now. And I've had plenty of conversations with people that are just like, well, why do you call it absolute hope? Why is it more than hope? Why is this and this and that? And I can give quick, small answers. But when I really dive deep, I really talk about the, where we pull this from Scripture and why this matters to us to really make sure we say the phrase and we believe that it is different than just wishful thinking. It's different than just optimism. It's different than how we use the word hope any other time we actually use it. And that is because when Jesus was born to his life, to his death, to his resurrection, and to today. Jesus delivered on every promise that God made to his people and continues to deliver on his promises that he and God made to his people. That he, that he himself is the absolute hope that delivered that to us, delivered this hope that we get to hold to in our lives. So I wrote these notes several years ago, and I just kind of want to walk through them today as we think about what was actually delivered. Not just a baby born, okay? Like, again, that's, that's partly how we use the word, but what did absolute hope actually deliver? 
Well, the first thing in my notes is that, that it's something or someone to have confidence in or on. Like that's a good general description for hope. A lot of people could use this. Well, I hope this works out. I hope this is going to be good. I hope this situation is great. I hope the circumstances you know, goes in my favor. You could use that for anything in terms of, of hope. But in this case, in our case, we're talking about it from the standpoint of the absolute hope came to give us something and someone to have confidence in and on. Uh, the passage I'm getting ready to read to you again comes from Matthew. And I, and I want to be quick about, again, the, the, I have to give you a little bit of the backstory um, as to why Matthew does this. He's going to pull from the Old Testament and the prophecy again about who Jesus is. But you have to understand a little bit of what's happening in the, in the context. So in Matthew 12, just to let you know, because we can't go back and read all of it. Um, Matthew 12, Jesus, this is about a third of the way through his ministry. And Jesus is, um, you know, he's a, he's a problem for the religious people. He's, he's a nuisance. He's troublemaker, so to speak. Um, he continues to do things. He's healing people. He's feeding the 5,000. He's, he's doing a lot of things that are kind of creating a name for himself, kind of creating a buzz for, for him and what he's been called to do. And, 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 and there's competition and there's tension. And then in chapter 12, Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath. Now, you and I would skip over this because it's not a big deal to us. But to them, okay, to them, Jesus broke one of the big ten. Okay, like it's a, it's a big deal. Like he broke one of the big ones, not just one of the 615 laws. He broke one of the ten commandments in their, in their mind. And they challenge him and they're upset about it. And Jesus then, of course, rebukes the, the religious leaders that they don't even understand what they're talking about. They don't even really understand the Sabbath and understand what God's heart and intention was. And right before we read the verses that Matthew gives us, it, he records for us that this is where the tide kind of shifted. This is where the tide turned. It goes on to say that um, this is the moment in which the Pharisees plotted to kill Jesus. That not only was he, he, was, he had gone from not just being a troublemaker and a nuisance, but he was now a real problem. And he was dangerous. He was dangerous to God's people. He was dangerous to God's faith and religion. He was dangerous to, to the Jewish way of life. And that they needed to get him out of the picture. And so Matthew, again, records and tries to connect the dots from the Old Testament to what's going on right now in the life of Jesus. And, and he gives us this um, this passage again. I want you to see this. It says, here is my servant who I've chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. And I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. All good things. They would have known these verses. Again, this is, more, this is some of the stuff they would, have been they would have grown up hearing in the synagogue and hearing in the temple. Yes, he's coming. He's going to have a spirit on him. He's going to get justice for God's people. But here's some stuff that they might have missed. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. Now, this is a prophetic passage talking about how Jesus is going to come. He's not going to come like a zealot, like a rebel, like a revolutionary that they thought he was going to be. He wasn't going to come and pick a fight. Matter of fact, if you look at his life, he never sort of once sort of picks a fight with Rome. Or with the Romans. The only people he publicly rebukes or, or challenges are the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders. He doesn't quarrel like that. He didn't come to do that. 
You, you weren't going to hear him in the street crying, let's take up arms and, and go do this. Like, that's not how he came. He goes on to say that a bruised reed will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out until he has brought justice through to victory. Now, let's just picture this. Meaning that, that Jesus is going to come in such a way, so meek, so mild, so humble, so non-aggressive, that even an almost broken, you know, reed won't break. That an almost snuffed out candle won't be put out. That's how he's coming. Until, right, till he brings justice through to victory. Until he does exactly everything that God told him to do. And to everything, it's fulfilled, again, fulfilled the promise that he had. And then the significance about this is what follows. It says that still in his name, even though he's coming that way, guys, in his name, the nations are going to put their hope. Okay, what, 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 this, what this would have been in terms of the prophecy would have been that not just the Jewish nation, right? Every nation, all nations, everyone. Everyone was going to put their hope in the name of, of Jesus Christ. And I highlighted that phrase in the name because, you know, I, I love thinking about historically, there's tremendous power and authority that people did and used and claimed in the name of something, in the name of a country, in the name of Rome, in the name of England, right? In the name of the king, in the name of the queen. Like, like, like countries were seized and overtaken, right? Oppression was done. Like laws were formed, laws were revoked, all in the name of, a, of either a kingdom, a, a something, or a someone more powerful than anyone else to exercise that name to have their will be done. And, and, and I love the fact that, that Matthew just reminds us of this, of this passage, that even though he's going to come... He's going, to be, he's going to come in meekness and humility, like he's going to be born on the backside of nowhere in a cave. That it's still true that in his name, every nation is going to put their hope. He is bringing a, a, he is bringing a name that you can have confidence in and on. He is bringing that to you. It's what unites you and I right now with over 2 billion people on this globe today is the name of Jesus. That's what unites us. Because his name is where we place our hope. The, the second thing absolute hope delivers on is a solution to trust him. A solution to trust him. You guys know, uh, I mean, um, I, I, I'm not going to give you my example, but I'll just give you a, a simple example. Imagine having to consider a... a, a, a trying to think of like a surgery, like a brain surgery or a heart surgery. Right? Like, like imagine a very life-threatening surgery that you have to sit and, and, and get some uh, consultations with. And you know you always have to do two because that's how insurance companies like to pit people against each other, right? So um, you have to get two consults on this major thing. Let's just, let's just say it's brain surgery, right? And you have one guy. You, you go in and you say, listen, I, I got this problem. I got to solve it. And, and this, this brain surgeon is like, listen, I, I just want you to understand this is a very common thing. We can totally do this. I've done this surgery about a thousand times. 
Um, you know, it's it, the way in which we do it. It's very low risk. Um, you're going to have recovery very quickly. I, I mean, I could probably do it with my eyes closed. Like it's it, like there's confidence and, and they're, and they're bringing you a solution that they feel like you, you can feel sure about it. Then you go to the next consult, right? And the guy just goes, whoo, the brain, <laughs> right? Like, boy, that brain's a mystery to me. But we could, we could probably root in there and figure something out, you know? <laughs> Which solution are you going to put your trust in, right? Which one are you going to bank on <laughs> for your life? And this is where I, I, I love just considering, like, the, like the, the, um, the fact that we talked about last week, that even though they had God's word at work, you know, the, the law and the prophets is all that the Jewish people had. This is all they had. And it wasn't something that actually solved their sin problem. It just managed it. You know? It just sort of helped them navigate their relationship with God, the, the temple and the sacrifices and the rules. And, but it didn't actually solve anything. And yet Jesus comes and delivers a solution. Because again, not only in the name of Jesus, as the angel told uh, Joseph, not only was it going to be his name that we're going to have our confidence in, he says, he is going to save people from their sins. And this is a, this is a great passage I love. Again, Matthew 11. This is Jesus himself saying to, to God's people, he said, come to me, all you who are weary, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. He knew the people were struggling with the weight of the management tool that they were given to manage the sin in their life because they didn't actually have a solution until Jesus came. He says, I want you to take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. And he goes on to say, my yoke is easy to bear and the burden that I give you is light. Here's Jesus saying, listen, I know there's a lot of things out there that sometimes try to offer solutions for you to trust in. There's other religions, there's spirituality, there's, I mean, governments and politics. Like, everybody's trying to come up with a solution to the problems that you have and to try to offer you a solution to, to, to put your trust in, to put your hope in. And yet Jesus knew the, the actual problem, <laughs> the actual issues. And he says, I'm here to solve that problem. And I'm bringing you a solution, not only that you can trust, but that you're going to find life. You're going to find hope. You're going to find peace. Jesus was saying, I'm the, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? He would go on to say that, that you know, the, the, we know the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life, and you might have life more, even more abundant. This is the solution he brings. And the third thing I wrote down years ago, again, was uh, that this hope, that this absolute hope really delivers a source that sustains us. Like, it's not fleeting. This hope isn't just here today and gone tomorrow. It's not fleeting. It's not temporary. It's actually made to sustain, to be there forever. So imagine if you're, you know, one of the disciples, right? And, and you've, 
You are the same as we talked about as Mary last week. You've been waiting for the Messiah. Jesus comes and tells you that he's the Messiah. So, so he's giving you co- something to put confidence in. I'm putting my confidence in you, Jesus, you, you're, that you are who you say you are, that you're going to do everything you're going to do. And they're trusting Jesus to be the solution right, to their problems. Now, they still think he's going to overthrow Rome. Like, they still think he's going to overthrow Rome, but they still are saying, like, hey, you're the solution we want to be behind, man. Like, we're team Jesus. And they're putting their hope in that. But then think about the fact that the moment they have to experience Jesus' crucifixion, I will oftentimes write this sometimes on the Saturday of Easter, before Easter, that that Saturday is the darkest moment in history. It's like, it's the darkest, most... Because why? Because it's filled with hopelessness. Because even those who had, who had been with Jesus and put their hope in Jesus and their confidence in Jesus now had a killed, dead, buried Jesus. And their hope was in the grave. And then, of course, the next day, Jesus is resurrected. And he reveals himself to his disciples, and then he hangs out with the disciples. And we, again, talk about hope being re, not just reborn, but alive in a way that it's never been before, right? Not only are they excited about they have confidence and trust and, 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 and that, I mean, they're, they, they're like, man, nobody's going to argue with a guy who just came back from the dead. Like, now's the time, right? It's going to happen. We're going to take over Rome. It's going to be fantastic. And then Jesus says to them, hey, guys, I got to go. I got I to peace out. What would you do? Right? Could you imagine just like, like my internal dialogue goes, nah, no, you don't. No, no. Like I can't, like if they were, if they were cloudy and didn't understand it before, I can't even imagine how they felt then. And Jesus was really quick because he knew, he knew the condition. He was so quick to help tie the dots and say, guys, you don't understand. I, I know that this, I know this is going to hit you this way, but you have to understand. It's better that I go. It's better that I go because I'm going to send you my spirit. And it's not just going to be for you. It's going to be for everyone who follows after me. Like he basically says, I I know you're putting your hope in me, which is where it's supposed to be. But instead of just the physical me walking around, healing one, healing another, like I'm getting ready to give you and you're going to do even greater things than even I did because I'm going to give my spirit to you. And it's going to sustain you. And sustain, it's going to be a fire of hope that will sustain you forever. This is how Paul kind of summed it up to the church in Rome. He said, I pray that God, who is the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace. Because why? Because you trust in him. Your confidence is in him. You've you've trusted him for the solution. And then it says, but you're going to overflow. Then you're going to overflow with, there's that word we saw last week, that confident hope. This is where we get the word. Absolute hope. How does it come? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's available to every single one of us. Not just those who lived in the time in which Jesus was born and delivered on all those promises, but right now, today, you have that same hope. We have that same absolute hope. And yet, one of probably my biggest issues and complaints 
in today's sort of modern Christian culture is just, is just the kind of hope that Christians seem to, to, to live in and portray to everyone else. It seems to look exactly the same as people who don't follow Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about everybody else, okay? I'm not, I'm not talking about you guys. But, but it's so strange to me that if this is the hope that was delivered, if this is the hope that came because of Christ and his birth, why is it that even Christians seem to be like, you know, things are going good and things are kind of going well and things are kind of heading in the right direction and all the things seem to be aligning. And then one sharp right turn or one sharp left turn in their life, it's hope, hope, hope. And then for whatever reason, when things turn or change or unexpected, these Christians begin to speak and act as if there's no hope. You actually hear hopelessness come out of the mouths of believers. And then maybe something changes and God is good. Woohoo, he delivered. You know, and he came, he came in and he swooped in and something changed or things got better and it was over time and things get up and things seem to go up again. And then something again might come along and just clip your wings. And, and, and we begin to react and behave in such a way as if we don't have any actual hope. Why is that? So today, as we're, I'm winding down to the end, I just, want, I just want you to do some work with me. Take the next, I'm looking at my timer, I got six minutes. Let me just, let me just, let's walk through, just for you individually, just walk through why that might be true of not just Christians around us and around the world, but it might even be true for us sometimes, even when we don't want it to be. Why is, the, why is that the case? Why can we go up and down, just like everybody else, when we've been delivered an absolute hope? Why can we? Why does it seem like it's so easy for us to drift up and down from hope to hopelessness? And again, you're, I know this is, again, I, I, the reason I want to do this now and not next week is I know that right now, guys, we're all in the thick of it. It's two weeks to Christmas, right? Like, not to bum anybody out, but it's two weeks to Christmas, okay? It's 14 days. Not to, to, to but you're in the busiest week of the busiest season of the year. And, and I don't want this Christmas to come and go for you like it has every year before. I want you to think for a moment, just for a moment, what kind of hope are you experiencing? And not only that, what kind of hope are you sharing with others? Is it the absolute hope that was delivered to you and delivered for you? Now, here's the three questions that I just want you to wrestle through. You're going to see the theme here in a minute. Question number one is, what or who do you place your confidence in or on? Where are, you, where are you getting the confidence in your life? For most of us, we all start out, and, and again, this is, you know, this is a, a message for another day, but most of us start out with kind of the impression, especially from parents and leaders, that we get our confidence and kind of our hope in education. 
You know, we're kind of told, like, you know, you got to get the right grades, you got to get the right thing, you got to go to the right school, and you got to do that. And, and, and then if you don't do those things, the future's going to be a little bit more hopeless than if you did the right things or if you got the right grades. When you get a little bit older, right, and you start getting into relationships and all that kind of thing, like, sadly, a lot of us start putting our hope in and getting our confidence from those relationships, from love, right? From love, that love is the thing that, that is never going to fail me. Listen, Tracy and I were married, you know, 18, 19 years old. We, love was all we needed, you know what I'm saying? Like, we were so foolish, but love is all we needed. I mean, ain't no mountain high enough, you know what I'm saying? Like, to keep me from getting to you, baby. Like, that's, that, 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 and, and, and when you, and you don't even realize it, but that's where your hope is. Like, that's what your confidence comes from. This is never going to fail me. This relationship, this experience, maybe it's your career, maybe it's your job, maybe it's your talents, maybe it's your health, right? Like maybe, maybe you're placing your confidence in all of these things. Maybe it's your financial security. And if you can't necessarily answer the question as to where do you get your confidence from, maybe flip it around and just say, where, where are my insecurities coming from? Because then you'll find your answer. What am I insecure about? Is it about not being loved or accepted? Then you're trying to get confidence from love and acceptance. Is my insecurity about education? Is it about work? Is it about jobs? Is it about, just figure out where those insecurities come from, and you'll find out what you're hoping in for your life. Second question is, what solution are you trusting in? <laughs> right? Now, I don't know about you. If you're anything like me, you know, we're all we're, gonna, we're all Christians in the room. Just gonna just gonna kind of do a blanket thing here. We're all Christians. Everybody has problems. We all come together. We pray to God. God, I got this problem, and we bring the problem to God, and like, God, please help. You know. But after we're done praying, we just start sweating and nervous and trying to figure out how to solve it. Right? Like, for whatever reason, we all still operate, even if you're a believer, there's something about our sinful nature that still operates as if we are supposed to trust us for the solution to whatever's bothering us or whatever trouble we have. We're supposed to trust us. And the problem is, and listen, I think this is just an issue when you get older, okay? The older you get, the more you realize you have failed you more than anyone else has failed you, Okay? When you're younger, like you still, you still think, I got it, I got it, okay, I got it. You get older, you realize, it doesn't stop you from saying, I got it. But you have a little bit more time to reflect on the fact that I probably don't got it. <laughs> you were never supposed to, we were never supposed to trust us for the solution. To, we're talking to the solution to the issues of our life where sin is at the root. We're supposed to trust him him. And third, what are you, what are you banking on? What's supposed to sustain you, right? What are you counting on to be there long-term? And again, for a lot of us, it's, it's our wealth. It's financial security. That's, that tends to be the thing that most of us bank on or trust in or put our hope in that that won't fail us. 
and all it takes is a couple of recessions and a couple of stock market crashes and the fear of something happening in the future to really shake us to our core because we don't really realize how much hope we've placed in that to sustain us. And all of these things are temporary. Like all of these things, education, relationship, like, you know, wealth, security, jobs, us, our ability to solve and navigate our own problems, it's all so temporary. And it's one of the reasons that we talked about it last week, that the hope, that this false hope that we tend to settle for, it will always disappoint us. <laughs> and, and he delivered an absolute hope that never disappoints. Never disappoints. In his name, hope was promised and hope is here. In his name, hope was promised and continues to be promised, but it was promised in, in, in the coming of the Savior. And when Jesus showed up, I mean, just go back and read the Gospels, man. Like most of the time, Jesus' message was short and sweet. You've been waiting, it's me. You've, 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 you've misunderstood, but I'm here to clarify, right? You thought your hope was in this. It's not. It's, it's in me. Hope is here. And it's that same hope that remains. We're going to talk more about that next week. Would you guys pray with me? Father God, if we'll just take a few minutes with you, I'm just praying individually this morning that we would, we would just do business with you that we would not allow this Sunday to pass without confessing the things that you've prompted in our hearts, areas of our life where we have placed our hope, that we have sought confidence in, that we have trusted in, and that we believe falsely will sustain us. And God, by your Spirit, conviction, allow it to just give us the, the, the peace to confess that to you and to know that your desire is to lift us out of that. Not to condemn us, but to lift us out into freedom so that we can realign the hope that we're trying to experience this year. That's an absolute hope that you deliver. And then, God, as we share this season with others, as we share our faith with others, God, that people would begin to see why we have hope, why this hope is different for us. And it's all because of you. And it is, again, in your name that we pray this. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.